Being sick is no fun. Being sick is your body's way of telling you that something needs to change. It's saying you need to slow down. You need to rest or recover. Same is true with an injury. If you get hurt, the pain that you experience is your body's way of telling you, you know, don't use that arm for a while. We've got some healing to do. Don't go to work. Don't play with your friends. Don't skip out on sleep. You need to rest. Slowing down when we're sick or when we're hurt is what we need, but it's usually not what we want. You guys can probably agree with me. It's hard to slow down when you're supposed to do that. I know that many of you in the church have had surgeries that have required you to slow down or stop your normal routines for several days and weeks while you're recovering. You might have had doctors tell you not to lift more than 10 pounds, and then you go home and quickly discover, man, everything weighs more than 10 pounds. What am I supposed to do, just sit here? Uh, you may not have been able to drive your car for a while on doctor's orders, or put your full weight on your leg or your foot, or, or you may not have been able to go to your job or go outside, or travel, or just live your normal life. It sounds kind of familiar to us this past year, doesn't it? Like I said, it's no fun. But being sick also gives you a chance to reflect on your choices. How well am I taking care of myself? What should I do differently next time? Lisa and I lived in Pennsylvania for, or we went to a church in Pennsylvania for a while, and I got food poisoning so bad one time after a potluck that I ended up in the emergency room. Now that definitely made me a little bit more careful at future church potlucks, a little more careful about whose food I trusted, and it also made me wash my hands a little bit more thoroughly. I learned something from being sick. I, I stopped and I reflected and I changed. I would even say it's unwise not to reflect on your health when you're sick. You shouldn't just rush back into the same old practices and habits that led to your illness in the first place. What does this have to do with us? Most of this year for us has been kind of like one long sick day. And I don't know about you, but to me it doesn't really feel like it's over yet. Our world is sick. Our land is sick. In one way or another, it's forced all of us to slow down and stop some of our typical regular practices. And the question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, have we reflected on what needs to change? Or have we just been chomping at the bit to get right back to the way things were before? Are we so desperate to pick up those 10 pounds again that we haven't even considered whether or not we should pick them up in the first place? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all of the things that you've had to miss out on with life and work and family and even church, I'm not saying that those were bad things. It's okay to want to get back to some of these things. But I also want us to admit that things weren't perfect before. So let's not idealize the past and miss out on a chance to reflect and make some adjustments. I've been reading the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah lately. And this is the story of what happens to the Jewish exiles from Babylon when they return to Jerusalem and are allowed to build the temple again. Most uh, of the Jews were expelled from Jerusalem for years. They'd been away for so long, like we talked about before, but this gave them plenty of time to reflect on their spiritual health and their relationship with the Lord. And that's one thing that you see when you read Ezra and Nehemiah. These people have obviously used their sick day to reflect on their choices. 
And they've realized, they've admitted, they've confessed that the way things were before, they weren't so rosy. The people weren't as dedicated to the Lord as they were called to be. They realize that was wrong. They want to make some changes. And so the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem is not just about rushing back to get to some worship practices that were forbidden by the people who were in charge. It's about a people rededicating themselves to the Lord and saying, let's not make the mistakes of the past. Let's do it better this time around. I want you to listen now to a passage from Nehemiah chapter 9. And listen for how the people speak honestly about the problems of their past, and they speak openly about God's faithfulness. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, our kings and leaders and our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, they enjoyed your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And then the people go on, they make this binding agreement to care for the temple, to be a people dedicated to the Lord, to not go astray or lose their faith or get distracted by shiny things like they and their forefathers had previously done. This gathering is kind of reminiscent of the Israelites with Moses at Mount Sinai, crying out, we will do everything the Lord said. We will obey. But do you remember how hard it was for the people to say that? Do you remember what happened when God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? They get about 50 days out of captivity and they start to complain that wilderness food is not as good as Egypt food. They're going, man, remember Egypt, the land of meat? Oh man, that was good meat. Oh man, I miss that meat. Guys, you know what we should do? We should go back to Egypt. Man, Egypt was the best. Such a good idea. And Moses is over in the corner with his face in his palm going, Are you serious? You want to go back to being slaves? The place where if you got hurt, the doctors told you not to lift less than 10 pounds of bricks? Did you forget the slave part? Moses says, Instead of reflexively going back to the way things were, why don't we look ahead and make a better future? with the Lord. And that's the question I think we should really challenge ourselves with today. What does our future with God look like? Regardless of where we've been, how can we grow closer to God now? I actually had somebody ask me that question this summer. You guys have met Mike before. Here he is again. Everybody say, hi, Mike. All right, Mike. Yeah, Mike came to the church this summer and he said, all right, I've taken some steps in getting closer to God and I want to take more. What should I do? What would you recommend, Jacob? And I told him three things. I said, well, 
On Sundays, our whole church is looking at the Gospel of John, and we're challenging ourselves to treat people the way that Jesus did. You can join in, join in with us on that. Second thing, uh, you and me and, and Doug Ecker, we can check in with each other once a week. We can pray together. We can meet up just like we are now. If you have any questions about something that you hear in worship or something about what the Bible says, we can just talk about that. And then the third thing I said is keep doing what you've been doing on your own, praying, reading the Bible. Doug got him a, a, a Bible and a men's devotional book, and, and we got him set up with the Bible app that sends him a, a scripture of the day. And so that's been good. He's been hearing God speak through scripture. And after I told him that, I'd reflected a few weeks, I realized I'd given him three key ways to connect with God on your own, with partners, and in the church. And I realized that what I was prescribing for Mike is good advice for anyone. I mean, that's how I grew in my faith as well. Whether you're new to following Jesus or a lifelong seasoned Christian, this is a helpful framework for connecting with God, for spiritual growth and, and involvement with the body of Christ. And so church, I want to commend to you what I call one, two, three, connect. Here's what it looks like. It's, it's supposed to be a simple guide to help people grow in their faith. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about it later. But I, also, I want to say at the front end, it's, it's kind of a good assessment tool for your spiritual health. It's a way of making sure that your spiritual growth is balanced. You guys might remember the old Popeye cartoons from back in the day. Remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Do you remember he had these big, big forearm muscles? The rest of Popeye was, was normal looking, but his forearms were like out of control. Your spiritual muscles can, can become like that too. You can be real strong in one area, but then lacking in another. Like it's good to spend time alone in th that one area, prayer and Bible study by yourself. But if you're not having conversations about the Lord with others, then you're missing out on something that's really important for forming and growing in your faith. Uh, if the only time that you think about Jesus is Sunday mornings during worship, then that's good, but you might be a little heavy in the three area and you might be neglecting the one and the two growth areas. So while you're reflecting back on this past year and seeking ways to dedicate yourself to God, ask yourself, am I connecting with the Lord in these three areas? On my own, with partners, and in the church. I also like this framework because I think it's teachable. If someone comes to you with the same question that Mike asked me, I, you know, I've heard about Jesus, well, what do I do next? You can tell them this. Jump in on what my church is doing on Sundays. Check in with me once a week. And then here are some daily spiritual disciplines that you can try. That's good balanced prescription. Now you might look at this and you might say, uh, Jacob, I've done all these things my whole life since I was a kid. But maybe the one thing you still lack is sharing this with someone else and helping them grow in their faith. You can teach it. You can share it. Throughout the coming year, I plan on elaborating on what spiritual formation in each of these three areas looks like. And if you already have certain spiritual disciplines in your life that you do, this, this framework includes those things as well. Uh, later on this year, you're going to hear me talk about different pathways for people to share uh, what they are doing in each of these areas. I'm going to give people a chance to say what their, what their one time alone with God looks like, what, what, what's been a valuable two way to connect in a small group or with partners looks like for them, or, or their experience with the church in that, that three area. I want you to hear these stories, and I want you to be inspired. Maybe you'll do, start to do something that somebody else does. Maybe they do something that you've never heard of or never thought about doing before. Maybe you'll hear about somebody having a mentoring or discipling relationship with someone and say, man, I really want to do that as well. I have something to offer and I have something to gain by getting together with these faithful Christians more often. I got to tell you guys, I'm really excited 
uh, about this for some reason. And it's, it's kind of surprising because it's not anything new or revolutionary. I didn't, I didn't come up with this. This is something people have been doing their whole lives. I think it's just a clear way of explaining it. It's something that you may have done. You may have even figured out on your own. But I think it's important because it's something that we see modeled in the life of Jesus. I'm going to take a few minutes now just to point that out. Jesus connected uh, in these three different areas. He had solo time with the one true God. Think about it. Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness alone for 40 days. And throughout his ministry, he often slipped away from the demands of mentoring and teaching just to spend time in God's presence, to spend time in prayer. Sometimes he prayed all night because it was just so satisfying and refreshing for his soul. I think in the same way, we need to make sure that we have times in our daily life where we're scheduling alone time with God, doing things like praying, reading scripture, just appreciating God's creation, sitting in silence and reflection. Your first reaction when I say that might be, dude, my life's too busy for that. And I get it. But remember, this is a season and an opportunity for us to assess what our normal day looks like, maybe challenge it, rededicate ourselves to the Lord. And maybe our calendars and our insatiable desire for entertainment or screen time are parts of what need to be reformed. Second area, we see Jesus promoting spiritual growth with partners as well. Uh, this is, for us, it's regular check-in time with other Christians. For Jesus, in addition to teaching the crowds of people, he also he had these 12 apostles that he taught privately and more in depth. And then even within that group of 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, who he gave even more special instruction to. They got to see and hear things that others didn't. In other examples, Jesus was one-on-one -on -one with people like Nicodemus and the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And those encounters provided opportunities for them to ask questions and relate the things that Jesus said to their individual lives. Well, the same thing happens when Christians meet up for coffee or gather in small groups or make check-in phone calls or eat or visit or pray together. We learn and we teach. We encourage and we challenge one another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's what happens in that two growth area. And number three, Jesus sees value in connecting with God in the large group format as well. We see Jesus teaching the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain. He provides lunch for 5,000 people, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And we see Jesus regularly, regularly going to the temple and to Jewish festivals for worship. He goes into synagogues so he can teach and learn. And our version of following that example today is in the church. There is so much value in gathering together with a large group of people and, and worshiping, pooling our resources and our talents and our gifts to do good works in the name of Jesus. And each week at the Tri-Valley Church, we open to the same scriptures as a congregation and we say, how can we be challenged in the same direction? But there's a, there's a kind of a growing trend today among people who, who want Jesus, but they don't want the church. Some people have had maybe a bad experience with the church or they're, they're, they're put off by the diversity of opinions and, and personalities, and they're saying, ah, it's just too much of a challenge for me. I don't have time to deal with that kind of thing. I like Jesus, but I, I don't really want the church. I don't need this. I'm going to do one, just me and God. I, I love doing that. And maybe a little bit of two, you know, meet up with some folks for coffee and talk about the Lord. But that number three thing for me is optional. And I get that, but I want to push back a little bit. I've been part of the church my whole life. So I get what, what those things are that might make someone go, no, thank you. But remember, Scripture calls the church the bride of Christ. The church is Christ's beloved, his, his counterpart. 
his partner. Uh, the church can change your life. The church at its best is formative and shaping. It will teach you more about God than you could ever learn on your own. Um, I've been part of a church, like I said, my whole life. And there's been ups and there's been downs, but I've definitely been formed and shaped and I've grown in my faith because of Christ's church. This is an important way to connect with God. One of my roles at the Tri-Valley Church is equipping Christians for faithful lives, for, for living faithfully for, for Christ and for fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And so this, this one, two, three connect, this is my prescription. It's my recommendation as well as an expectation that the people of the Tri-Valley Church are connecting in these three areas. Now, I can't make you do any of these things more than a doctor can make you not lift more than 10 pounds. But if you want to grow, I suggest you take a look. I'm going to be using this uh, throughout the year. I'm going to be referring to this. This is going to be part of our, our spiritual language as a congregation. And like I said, I'm excited about it. As I've been reflecting back on our International Sick Day, uh, I'm kind of, I, I've noticed something that's been good that has happened. I think in the church, with the quarantine and just the world being the way it is, it's kind of forced us to slow down and maybe make things a little bit simpler, to make things a little bit more focused. I think that maybe if Mike had come to me in January, before the, the COVID and the quarantine and all that, if he'd asked me, you know, I want to know more about following Jesus, I may not have given him such a concise answer. And here's what I mean by that. Um, in churches that have a long history and a lot of baggage, uh, when people come looking for Jesus, a lot of times what the church points them to is the chair stacking ministry or the, the three-hole punch ministry. And we forget to put Jesus at the center of all of that. I think one thing I like about 123 Connect is that it makes things clear. It says this is what you can go and do and it will help you grow in your faith. So I encourage you to be a part of that. As we end this morning, I want us to all sing together the words of this song that we've been singing over the past few weeks. Build your kingdom here. But instead of just singing the tune uh, and just like going with the song as it unfolds, I want to challenge you to really pay attention to the words and treat this song like a prayer. It's a prayer of you dedicating yourself to the Lord. We are saying, we are praying things in the song like, set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Set our hearts ablaze with hope. Uh, uh, awake the kingdom seed in us. Build your kingdom here. Let me be a place where your will is done. So I'm excited for this coming year. I love this church. We're going to be giving more information in coming weeks about discipleship groups, about different ways that you can connect in these one, two, and three areas. Um, but we love you and we're praying for you. Let's all sing together this prayer now.